Hey, we're starting a new series today called One. Everybody shout the, name, the word one. 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 The idea that while you might feel like that you're a long way away from where you need to be, like there's been so many things that have held you back and so many problems in your life. And it seems like, man, I'm miles away or, or, or maybe a thousand steps away. I want to show you in scripture why really a lot of times you're just one thing away from a radical change in your life. I mean, when you look at it in the natural, you might be thinking like, like if I, if I go to the gym and I take one of those before pictures where you take your shirt off, you're like, man, that's a lot of saying no to donuts. That's a lot of crunches. I mean, to get where I need to go is a lot of stuff. You might feel like your whole life is that way. I got a lot of steps. I got a lot of things that I've got to do to, to get to this place. But what if I showed you in scripture that sometimes it's one decision. Sometimes it's one leap of faith. Sometimes it's one moment with God or one connection with the next person God wants you to connect with that changes everything in your life. This series is going to show you that. I don't want you to miss a single week as we head into Easter looking at one, that one thing that's going to change you. And today, I want to show you one decision that changed the man's life forever. And I want to start off with this reality. When I talk about one thing, I'm not talking about one baby step or one minute change. I'm talking about big stuff. So the first thing I want you to write down, if you're taking notes, pull out your worship guide, follow along. Here's the first one. You will never experience a giant change by taking baby steps. All right. If you're like, you know, my son, he is, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's eight years old. I'm super excited. He's getting baptized today. I'm really excited about that. Um, but he is all into abs, dad. I want abs. Do it. Do I have abs, dad? How many abs do I have? And I always tell him, he's like, dad, he told me the other day, I've been doing this push-up challenge one for every day. So we're up to like 65 push-ups a day now. And he's like, dad, I bet next year you're going to have abs. And I was like, well, probably one, you know, big one. <laughs> but, but like, you know, to, to get to where you want to go in something like that, it, it doesn't take small steps. Like you've got to make a major change and a major decision in your life. And so, you know, you won't make a giant change in your spiritual journey without, without taking big steps. The, the prime example of a big step move, this is sort of the quintessential historic truth, is when Cortez in 1519 took his boats and his armies across the Atlantic Ocean all the way from Spain to Mexico, and they landed to fight the Aztecs. And you remember that historic decision where he decided to burn the ships right at the shore. As soon as the men got out, got their provisions out, he burned the ships. He was trying to tell them there is no life back home. There is no life apart from you overthrowing this great empire. And he only had 600 men and they defeated the mighty Aztecs. You know, sometimes in your own life, you've got to realize I've got too many things holding me back. I've got too many things I'm looking over my shoulder. And sometimes you are one decision away from charging up a hill you never thought possible. And there's a man who did that. His story is of a blind man who received this sight. And when you first look at it, you think, well, he didn't really do much. Jesus did all of it. But I want to break that story down for you a little bit. It's in your Bible, Mark chapter 10, if you want to follow along with me. And I want to break down actually the faith steps that he took that you might not notice. We'll, we'll start just by reading this together. Uh, Mark 10, beginning in verse 46, it says, And they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. 
Many people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. He's Come on, he's calling you. And Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, and he jumped up, and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And immediately the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. I was reading that and I was thinking, I bet he followed Jesus down the road. I mean, you've been blind your whole life. And in fact, his father, Timaeus, was also blind. That's why they put that in the story to tell you where, where he came from. Timaeus had been blind his whole life. Like he's a whole, all he's known is blindness. He's never seen through his eyes in his whole life. I, I imagine that he followed Jesus. This was a, a miraculous moment in his life. Now, this is a good time for us to decide if Jesus can still do that. Because there's a big controversy. You might, you might not know this, but there are pastors, seminary trained, professional, full-time pastors who don't believe Jesus still does this. There are long-time Christians grown up in church their whole life. They just believe this was a, a Jesus thing and nobody else could do it. Others believe the first apostles, the early apostles could do it and nobody else could. Major seminaries, entire denominations don't believe that this still happens. This is a story to tell about Jesus and about Jesus's power and about how his fame spread, but it's not something that you and I are supposed to look at and believe can happen for us. So so let me just start out by defining Daystar's theology of miracles. All right. And let me see if you're with me. It's real simple. Here's what I believe. Anything God ever did any time he can still do now. Are y'all with me on that? Anything God ever did anywhere, he can do here. Y'all still there with me? Come on, help me y'all. And finally, anything God ever did for, this is the best part, for anyone, he can do for you. Somebody say amen. I mean, this is really where it comes to. Do you really believe he still does those kinds of things? Because sometimes you're just one decision away from walking into your moment with God. That's what I want you to believe today. That today, man, there's something waiting for me. That, that, you know, the Bible says the steps of a good person are ordered by God and he delights in his way. The Bible says that, that there are many paths in our mind, but God orders our steps. The Bible says that God has a plan for your life filled with hope and prosperity. And maybe you're wondering where's the prosperity in your life? Where are the good relationships? Where's the, the, the healing that's going on in your life? I need you to believe, first of all, that it can happen. And that maybe what you need to do is stop taking baby steps. You know what? You made a good baby step today. You came to the house of God for worship. And that's wonderful. And for some, that's a bigger step than for others. And I realize that. But maybe God wants you to take a bigger step than that. Maybe God's ready for you to make a decision of what you really rely on. Who you really have confidence in. I mean, is it me? Is it my job? Is it my ability? Is it my education? Is it my hard work? Or is there something beyond me? that I need to be trusting God for. See, that's where it really starts. Write this down if you're taking notes. Christ appears. He shows up in the life of the humble. Not the people who have it all together. Not the people who have it all figured out and don't need anything else, and they just want to tweak their life a little bit. You know, I got it all figured out. I'm way better than all those jokers I work with. I'm the nicest guy on my block. I give more money probably than anybody else in my family. I'm just at church to tweak things a little bit. Let me tell you, God can't do anything for a person like that. 
Come on, I need a little more amen to help me out on this, right? You got to know where you're at, like you need something. Bartimaeus knew it. He was, he was not the only person there who needed something from Jesus, but he's the only person who got something from Jesus. There was a bigger disease than the physical blindness that he suffered from. It was people who were spiritually blind. They thought their lives were fine. They thought everything was great. They didn't need Jesus. They were along for the parade. They wanted to see what was going on. They didn't need anything from Jesus. That's where a lot of people were that day. And really, it's not a whole lot different from us right now in our culture. I mean, we got so much stuff going for us. Even in a pandemic, man, we've got science. We've got masks. We've got vaccines. We've got good hospitals, man. We've got money. We got so much stuff. Man, if you don't have enough money and your job gets shut down, the government's coming for you, man. They're about to send you that big check. Are you excited about that? Are you ready for it? They're going to give you a check that big, and you only have to pay them back a check that big. It's really going to work out great. I mean, this, our whole culture is built around self-reliance, man. Even in a hundred year pandemic, we got a plan. We got science. We got scientists. We got medicines. We got money to be released. We don't need anything. You look at our culture in a billion different scenarios. It's like we have it figured out, but God's word prophesied about us thousands of years ago in revelation three and 17, when God says, here's what you say, you say, I am rich. And I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Isn't that, don't you think maybe that was written for our time? Don't you think maybe heaven looks over at us and says, you're the wealthiest people in the history of the world. You got more stuff, bigger houses, more things to hold on to than, than ever before. But what you don't realize is how wretched and miserable you are, how truly spiritually poor and blind you are, how naked you are before me. Today, millions of people have 20-20 vision and are completely blind. That's what the Bible said was going to happen in our day. In the last days, there would be an explosion of knowledge and an explosion of ignorance all at the same time. Who could have believed it? Who could have believed the Bible? Who could have known that there is more information right now? There will be more new information released this week than in all the history of the world. Who knew it? Jesus knew it. <laughs> he said that's the way it would be in the last days, that we would have more knowledge and yet we'd be more ignorant than ever before. We think because we have good jobs and we have good homes and we have, you know, we look good on the outside that we don't need anything else. And the Bible spoke about this generation in 2 Corinthians 4. It says the God of this age, you know, there's a God of this age. Can I get an Amen. For some people, it's government. For others, it's sex. It's Hollywood. It's pop culture. There's a God of this age, and it says the God of this age has blinded the minds of those who don't believe in Jesus so that they cannot see. And not only them, but some that do believe in Jesus, Ephesians 4 and 18 says, they're darkened in their understanding, and they're separated from the life of God. Here's what I know by these scriptures and, and by my personal experience. For us to receive something from God in our lives, we have to start with the realization that we need him. How badly do you think you need him today? That's a great question to ponder. You see, <clears throat> I met Jesus. I, I, I literally, as a little boy, I don't remember a lot of stuff from before I was 10 years old, but I remember at about seven years old, evening devotions with my mother, and she led me in the sinner's prayer. I remember a feeling I had that I had been saved. I still remember it all these years later. 
And I grew up in church. I went to church my whole life. I started preaching when I was a teenager. My college church pastor left and they named me pastor when I was 19 years old. Dear God, pray for those people that went to that church. They need help, I'm sure. But I mean, I've been doing this my whole life. I've been looking at the scripture, trying to understand it better, explaining it to people in sermons and in one-on-ones and in coaching lessons. Listen, church, I've done this my whole life. And I tell you that to only tell you this, I am now more certain that I need Jesus than I have ever been sure of in my life. I need him more than everybody else in this room. And I don't mean that because, well, I'm the pastor and I've got a big role to play and I'm a target of the devil. I don't mean any of that stuff. I mean, strip all that down. Just Jerry needs Jesus more than anybody I know. That's not false humility. I I, I mean it with everything inside of me. And I'll tell you this further until you know it about your own life. Until you recognize how badly you need him, you'll never have him move in your life. If you think, I kind of need him and I I really do, except I'm going to keep him at arm's length and I'm going to do some other things, you don't really think you need him. (laughs) You know, I really think he's the most important thing in my life and and a lot of times I'm going to let him lead my life. No, you don't really believe you need him. But when you come to the place where you know you need him, God will show up in your life. Old Bartimaeus said, I'm nobody. Nobody in this room likes me. Y'all don't want me to be quiet, but here's what I know. I don't need your opinion. I need the mercy of the son of God. He cried out and he got his miracle. When you get to that place, you'll see God move in your life Two, Verse 47, when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he didn't see him. He just heard about it. He didn't know how close he was to him. That's why he yelled so loud. He might have been two feet away, but he didn't know. He began to shout as loud as he could, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He cried and asked for mercy. That means he was humble. He knew what he needed. But what we don't know is that he was actually making a major faith statement and a declaration, a theological declaration. He called him son of David. Say those three words with me, church. He's the son of David. That was a big deal. That's a prophetic messianic title. It meant this is the Messiah. And he yelled it out loud. And it was not popular. See, at this time, there was some thought that Jesus might be the coming prophesied Messiah, but nobody wanted to say it out loud. And to say it out loud would get you in a lot of trouble. And so, like today, people were dodging the question, you know. Nobody really wanted to say who he was. They were unwilling to commit. There had been people who'd spent their whole life studying the scriptures. They had, uh, you know, they were the teachers. When you, when you read about teachers of the law, that what they, they don't mean lawyers like we think of them today. They think people who'd lived their whole life in a seminary. They'd been studying this stuff, man. They had scriptures uh, literally attached to their forehead and to their arms and, and, and on the post of their door frames of their homes. I mean, they had lived it this whole life. Nobody knew really who he was. And Bartimaeus, a blind beggar goes, I'll end the debate right here. That guy's the son of God. He is the only begotten. He is the savior of the world. And and, and they weren't ready for that. They were touchy. And have you noticed how touchy our world is right now? Man, you say something a little bit out of line. You get something a little bit not the way it ought to be. And it's somewhere on social media. You said it eight years ago and they're quick to cancel you. We live in a cancel culture now, right now. They'll cancel you if you don't say what you're supposed to say. You don't say it the way you're supposed to say it. You'll get canceled. And, and you know, cancel culture might be a new phrase for us, but it's not a new thing. It's not new. Jesus got canceled. 
That's what happened to him. They canceled him and put him on the cross because he dared to say that if you destroy this temple, I'll raise it back up in three days. He dared to say that he was the son of God and it was his own disciples, though they were hiding that day, few days after when they experienced and saw the resurrected Jesus, they began to say he was the son of God. They began to say he was the only way until finally they canceled him too. (laughs) Well, back then they were fine with people saying that Jesus was a good rabbi or he was a good teacher. In fact, he was pretty popular. I mean, he's healing people. He's opening blind. He's doing all these miracles. He's loving and accepting uh, the outcast. And so, you know, they, 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 he was very popular, but they absolutely would forbid you to say he was the son of God. He can be one of many good teachers, but he can't be the one and only God. Does it seem like we've come very far in 2000 years? It's the same story today, man. You can be a good little church person, man. Be, tote your Bible. Put it on the dash of your car. You can be a nice little church person and and, and do it. Go to school with that. Go to work with that. Be in pop culture with that. That is completely fine. Quote a few little sweet Jesus verses. You know, sweet ones. You know, Jesus, when he called a woman a dog and when he spit in somebody's mouth, can't quote that stuff, but quote the sweet things that Jesus said, right? And you can even carry your Bible to school. Don't live any of it, but you can tote it and be nice. And as long as Jesus is your way to, to God, that's no problem. But don't you dare tell me that he's the only way to God because that begins a problem and you'll get canceled for that. It's no different today than it was all those years ago. But let me just go ahead today and risk being canceled myself and tell you what the book says. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible leaves no doubt. It says salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. And there's no name given under heaven by which we must be saved. I wonder if there's anybody that would get politically correct, incorrect enough to agree with me that Jesus is the one and only way to the Father. Can you give him praise right now if you're trusting in him? <laughs> you know why that's important? Because there is going to be a day that I don't breathe anymore or this flesh house doesn't. There is going to be a day that this heart stops ble- beating one day and I'm not waiting on a committee to get me into heaven. <laughs> I'm not believing that there's one, that, that I got Jesus and there's 18 more ways to have. There is one way. And I want him to know I've been waiting on you. I've been trusting in you. I'm believing that when my moment comes, I'm standing before you. And Bartimaeus was a man before his time. He wasn't waiting on everybody else to get it figured out and all the arguments that happened. He cut right through the political correctness. He said, you're not just a carpenter. You're not just a teacher and you're not a military leader. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And here's the thing I want you to go away with remembering today. Last thing in your notes. Jesus can't be your savior until he's the only savior. It just won't work. C.S. Lewis said this about Jesus. He said, Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. You can't let him be what people want him to be today. He won't let you place him in the category. Jesus won't let you place him in the category of one good teacher. Jesus himself said, I am the way, not a way. The truth, not, you know, part of the truth. I'm the truth, the way, and the life. And so he says, nobody comes to the Father except by me. And until we know that's true, we're never going to understand the grace and the miraculous of God. Titus said this. He saved us, Titus 3 and 5. And it's not because of the righteous things we had done, but it's because of his mercy. He washed away our sins giving us new birth and new life 
through the Holy Spirit. I want, you to, I want you to hear those words again. Sometimes when I finish my last point, y'all think I'm done. I start hearing them notebooks clicking and clacking and y'all start thinking about where you're going to lunch. We're just going to reboot everything. Listen to this verse one more time. He saved us. And it's not because of righteous things we did, but because of his what, church? Mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. You have not and cannot earn your salvation. No one can. Not Billy Graham, not Mother Teresa, not the Apostle Paul, not St. Peter. No one can. And actually, that's great news because if I can earn my salvation, I, I need to figure out how to earn my salvation. But if I can't, I just have to trust in him. Bartimaeus had persistent faith. Mark said, many rebuked him and told him to get quiet. And he responded by getting louder. I think I would have liked him. I think you'd have come to Daystar because you can get louder at Daystar. They stereotyped Bartimaeus. They knew everything about him. They, they knew that he was a nobody from nowhere. They knew that uh, he had always been a beggar and he was always going to be a beggar. Here's what I've learned too. If you're going to experience great things in God, you're going to have to turn down the voice of the critics. You're going to have to. See, when, when I was just a little kid, God put a hook in my heart. I went to a spirit-filled, dynamic, sometimes backwards, <laughs> church. They didn't get everything right, but man, they loved Jesus. And, and every time there was a sermon preached at the end, I rarely paid attention because <coughs> it just, whatever. But when they started playing the music, it started tugging at my heart. And I came to the altar every time. I, almost every time there was an invitation. There's the Lawson kid again. What's he done this time? You know, I didn't know the pre preacher would give like, if you've been doing this and this, you just need to come up here and get it right. Well, I didn't even hear what he was saying. They started playing the music. Boom, I'm down there. I'm confessing to God knows what. But there was something in my heart. And I remember one time I came down there and I cried and I prayed and this lady grabbed me by the arm and she said, Jerry Lawson, I don't want to see you back down here praying in this altar them fake crocodile tears until you're ready to really meet God. She had some skepticism. Now, it was probably because I had just beat up her son in the parking lot. <laughs> that really happened. And so she had reason to not believe in me, okay? But I want to tell you, I had a lot of things wrong, but my heart loved God. I think somebody needs to hear that today. You can have a lot of things wrong in your life, and God has still got a hook in your heart, and he's still pulling you. It's kind of like a fish. I love to deep sea fish. And if you've been fishing a long time, when the fish hits the line in the ocean, you can almost tell what he is a long time before you get in by the way they run. Some of them will run right to you. Some of them will shake their head like a red snapper and you can kind of tell what he is. And I feel like when God hooked me, I did a lot of that stuff. But he wasn't freaking out. You know, he wasn't, he just kept bringing me along. Some of you are right in that place. He's got, he's got a hook in your heart. You want to give up because you're, you feel like you're, you're bound by this place. There's this addiction or this struggle inside of you. And I want to tell you, God can change all of that if you're willing to make a decision that he and he alone is your hope. Let me show you something maybe you've never seen about this story. I'm going to read it to you again, and I'm going to break it down at the last. Verse 50, Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, and he jumped up, and he came to Jesus. 
What do you want me to do? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. Now let me break this down for you. All Bartimaeus knew was blindness and poverty. Bar Timaeus means son of Timaeus. The, the scripture tells you he was the son of Timaeus. Timaeus was a blind beggar. And Timaeus, see, they didn't have a culture with any kind of social safety net. There was no, uh, there was no welfare. There was no health care. You can today in America go to any ER and by law, the emergency room can't turn you away. It's nothing like that for you. You're sick, you're just on your own. You're, you're, you're hungry, you're just on your own. There was nothing, to, there was no farmers to family. Did you know in about the last 40 days, your church has fed 10,000 families food? Can you just, that, isn't that great? Your church has done that. There was nothing like that going on in Bartimaeus' day. And his father, Timaeus, had found a place to sit beside the road. And he had a shawl that he would wear. So there were these ancient family colors and lines and shawls, and they said so much. And this is one I actually bought in Israel. And he had something that he would wear. And his father had taught him, this is where we go, son. This is where we sit. And this is what you do. You wear this shawl. This identifies you are in need. You sit in this place. This is the place I've always sat. They know we're going to be here and, and we're just going to rely on the generosity of people who will care for us. It's not good. It's not what we want out of life, but it's keeping us alive. So all Bartimaeus had was a place and a shawl. And that was his identity. That was everything he had. And so that's what he would do. Somebody would help him get there every day. And, and, and it was no different on this day. Maybe he wore it kind of like this. I don't know. Maybe he just had it there and he got in his place. And I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to survive. I don't like this. I'm hungry. I'm, I'm, I'm miserable. My life is going nowhere. But this is who I am. This place is my provision. This shawl is my identity. Are you with me, church? This is the best part of the sermon. This place is my provision. This shawl is my identity. His father told him, this is who you are. If you try not to be this person, you're going to die. You're going to starve to death. But on this day, Jesus was passing by. <laughs> Everything was about to change on this day. He'd never seen Jesus. He had only heard, he'd never seen anybody. He'd only heard little stories about who Jesus was. And he decided, I'm going to cry out to him. And so he didn't just say, Jesus, whoever you are, can you come over here? He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they said, boy, you better shut up. First of all, you're a nobody. Second of all, you've stepped right into the middle of controversy. You're going to get canceled. And he's like, I can't get any more canceled than I already am. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so he cries out and he angers the people around him. And Jesus called him. And did you catch what the Bible said he did? It did not say that Jesus came to him. It said he came to Jesus. He's already blind. He didn't wait until he could see. He didn't wait until his eyes were healed. The Bible says he threw off his coat and he jumped up and came to Jesus. He's still blind. He's still hungry. He's still poor. You see, he came to a place where many of us have to get in our lives. We have to decide, is this really my place in life? Is this really my provision? And this really, uh, what I've been wearing, is this really my identity? Over there on the other side of the road is Jesus. And what I'm going to have to do is make a decision. Do I want to hold on to what I've been? Or do I want to take a leap of faith and try to be somebody else? 
Well, here's what the Bible says, that he threw aside his coat and he jumped to his feet and he blindly ran to Jesus and immediately he was healed. I just have to believe the story says what it says because it means what it means. If you want to sit here and just be stuck in your identity, this is who I am. I knew who I am. Don't you change who I am. This is what I've got to do. This is what I've always got to done. Then Jesus is going to pass right by. You're going to be in his presence, but you're never going to be changed. But if you make a decision, one decision, to leave what they've said about you, to leave what you even think about you and just make a step of faith toward him. He'll change who you are. He's done it before. He can do it for you. Anything God's ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God ever did anytime, he can do right now. And anything God ever did for anyone, he can do for you.